Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hey, everybody. On today's show, Think Yourself Healthy, we have a special guest. Her name is Tawny Lyons. Tawny is a therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area who focuses primarily on conscious and intentional relationships. The foundational relationship being the one we have with ourselves. Her approach is contemplative, playful, and devoted to unraveling conditioning so we can live present, unrestrained, and love-filled lives. I love that. <laughs> Tawny, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm very excited to dive deep with you on all things self-care, self-love, conscious relationships, conscious sexuality, all of the things. So thanks again for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I discovered you on Instagram. Um, I'm a huge fan of the angry therapist and, you know, watching his stories, I saw him posting a lot of things, um, mentioning you and your work with the tat lab. And so I got super curious and was like, all right, who is this absolutely adorable tatted up chick? I got to know (laughs) about her. And so as I started following you, um, your style really resonates with me. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I think the listeners will really resonate with your approach as well. So what brought you down this journey of becoming a therapist and wanting to do all things consciousness and self-care? Yeah. Oh man, the golden question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I guess I sort of had my own dark night of the soul, which is um, I don't, I don't know if you've heard that term, but I, I have many listeners might not have. Can you describe okay. what that is? Sure. Yeah. It's a term, um, I believe Jungian term or often attributed to Jung, Carl Jung. Um, but basically it's when we are at rock bottom in a way, or when we are facing our demons. So for me, that was depression, anxiety, severe ADHD, Um, And I struggled or battled with those things uh, my whole life Um, and, and making meaning from them. I recognized that they could actually become my greatest strengths. And I really wanted to be who I needed when I was younger. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Be who you need when you're younger. I love it. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I just kind of went down this road of, um, getting into yoga and meditation. And I did go down the uh, meditation, <laughs> but I went down the road of medication too, actually. Um, and I, I don't have any judgment about what anybody does, but I personally find that it's best suited for me to really focus on um, holistic or integrative ways of healing. Um, and community has been really, really huge for me, artistic expression. Um, so basically I was just trying everything out to try to heal. Yeah. I love that. So it sounds like you went on a self exploration journey, trying to discover, you know, the essence of your being, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, I, myself, like you suffered significantly from anxiety and depression at very early age. I grew up in a you know, very challenging environment and um, had super major stomach aches starting at like a really, really early age. And Mm -hmm. so they took me down the route of trying to put me on medications and manage, you know, the depression, the anxiety, the things that way. And, um, and then for me, when I got to be 18, I ended up getting diagnosed with a, um, kidney autoimmune disease. And Mm. that was kind of the thing that opened up the door for me to explore holistic alternatives, because at that time I got kicked off my parents' health insurance and then couldn't get health insurance for having a pre-existing disease. So that kind of opened up the door for me um, to understand lifestyle practice and how lifestyle practice can ultimately impact our mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's been a um, extremely rewarding journey and 
fast forward now 25 years later um, through the practices that I have embraced, I've been able to um, overcome all of the odds. They told me I was going to be on dialysis or transplant within wow. five years of that diagnosis. So now I'm in my mid forties and I feel better than I did when I was in my twenties. <laughs> Life's awesome. Good. So, so <laughs> and you look great too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I have a 24 year old and almost 20 year old daughters. Oh and so it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Um, it's been quite the journey, but the last 10 years since I got divorced, I really, I really made my commitment to myself and learning how to um, really get to the root of all of the things that kept me so disraveled, so mm -hmm. incomplete and distracted mm -hmm. from my core being. Um, and it's been such a game changer for me. And then to see the work that I've done and the impact that it's had on my own children without my intentional influence, like, mm -hmm. hey, you need to do this, you need to do this. Because I've been able to change my own behaviors um, they have observed that and started, you know, making efforts in their own healing, which is really exciting. They were, I think, I want to say they were like 12, 13 and eight when I got divorced. So it was a real challenging time uh, yeah. for them. So I think that most of us have a lot of traumas that we experience at very early ages, and we don't realize how those experiences impact our adult behavior. And more often than less, what I discover is that we behave completely out of alignment with who our true essence is, which is why we're so miserable, we're depressed, we're anxious, because we're self-betraying on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Right. You said it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important too to say that it's no fault necessarily of our own. I think uh, a lot of it is cultural conditioning, the society at large, like media, you know, we have kind of a lot against us when it yes. comes to listening to our true essence. Absolutely. Yeah. We're conditioned to be distracted or disconnected from mm -hmm. self, I think at an early age. <laughs> yeah. Very we don't need totally. Yeah. If we don't need anything, Heather, then what are we going to buy? Right. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I am a huge fan of play. I absolutely freaking love play. I am still just a huge child. And I'm, mm. I'm sure that a lot of that probably is related to the fact that at eight years old, I became like a second mom. I had five younger brothers that I had to be responsible for. Wow. And so I think that I suppressed a lot of my youthful playfulness as a child to help, you know, um, have responsibility and be the older sister. Yeah. And I encourage people to play, 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 play. So for me, part of learning how to love myself and to really attend to my own self-care needs, I've utilized play because it was such a oh gosh, challenging topic of how do I start loving my, I don't even know who I am. How do I start loving myself? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so what are your thoughts on this for individuals who are, you know, feeling off having maybe yeah. their dark night of the soul mm -hmm. and they're not sure, you know, where to go from there? What kind of advice do you have? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be really, really individual. I love the lens that you're taking through play. Sometimes some folks have so much trauma that they can't really access that part of themselves. That's why I really do push and think it's important to have a secure base, uh, a relationship with somebody, typically a psychologist or therapist to work through those challenges that are coming up. But just sort of baseline, I guess, no matter what your dark night is, ways that you can get in touch with yourself. So that's going to be different for everyone, right? For me, it was always writing, journaling, um, and crying, but also comedy. Stand-up comedy can be really great when you're just laughing and feeling sort of at awe of the beauty of the world or the silliness or, the, or not taking things as seriously. I think that can also be a really great way to get in touch with ourselves. Um, animals can be really, really regulating. <laughs> um, you know, they're just little beings happy to see us. And I think that can be really helpful to sort of climb out from that space. Mm -hmm. um, and community, finding people that you feel really, really safe with and showing them who you are. And hopefully somebody who will just sit with you in it. 
Mm-hmm. So what is your advice? How do you suggest someone tries to initiate finding a community, especially if they tend to be a more introverted individual who maybe suffers a lot with social anxiety and poor yeah. confidence? How does that individual start to find a belonging? Mm-hmm. I think of common interest for me I I ended up finding the closest tribes that I have in school because they had similar interests you know but not everybody needs to go out and and do that but you know you know maybe a book club if there's something that you're really really interested in especially there's a lot of book clubs that are virtual now and just sort of uh, connecting over something that you're both into so it's easy to talk about um, it's not necessarily that the attention is on you and what's going on for you and then you can sort of build up the trust from there mm-hmm. or if you're into sports that kind of thing it's kind of weird because everything's social distance now but maybe volleyball or something right. well so, yeah absolutely because I was going to ask you um what your recommendations are right now in terms of dating. How do people meet people with the restrictions? Here in California, we have them like way more than the rest of the United States. I just saw, (laughs) I literally just saw something yesterday that um, Governor Newsom had, I guess, publicly announced that he requires masks now in between bites of eating at a restaurant. I was like, okay. all right. I did not see that. Yeah. I was oh, man. Like, okay. Well, that's going to be interesting. We'll yeah. see if that works out. But, but seriously, I've been full yeah. and um, I was in a long distance relationship prior to quarantine happening. And then I left Canada on the day that the U.S. shut down its borders. And then oh my the, relation, the relationship, um, it became very complicated with not knowing when borders were going to open and all of those things. And so yeah. ultimately we decided that it was best to go our own ways and, mm-hmm. and do our own thing. So I've been single for quite some time and um, I am interested in dating, but absolutely have no idea where to go. I'd like, I, I'm like, I don't even know where to go to start meeting people right now because of the restrictions. Right. Yeah. So the physically meeting people is a hard one. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny to say this, but sometimes when you just, you know, you live near Laguna beach, if you're just walking out and make eye contact with somebody and sort of sustain it and smile, you can tell when somebody's smiling in their eyes and, and that can just open up something. And I feel like so often we don't do things like that because it's frightening, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but when, you know, just trying that can be really, even if it just ends up in a conversation and it doesn't even need to be with the sex or gender that you're attracted to, right? Just that communication can kind of open you up in a way um, to be open to dating. And then as far as dating apps go, uh, actually the angry therapist, John Kim started an app called Twirl app. That's really rad. You're shaking your head. It looks like yeah, you've seen Cause yeah. I, I'm definitely, um, I downloaded it and I interviewed him and had him on and we talked about the app nice. for the app and I'm really excited about it. It's still in its very early stages. So I yes. know that it's going to take some time to get it to a place where it's going to be able to serve the population um, more efficiently. But I'm very, very excited about this tool and the potential that it has. Also, for all of the listeners, um, this app is called Twirl. And it's not an app for just dating. You can also go on there and there. Actually, I think you're part of the community. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So they have (laughs) trained professionals who come on and they talk about different topics. It's a video-based app. So it's very authentic. It's extremely vulnerable. Oh my God. Yeah, it is. When I recorded my first video, I actually was intimidated. I don't get intimidated too easily, but I legit was like, okay, this is super <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> like there's no filters. There's no filters. Yeah. Anything. It's yeah. you. Yeah. Up as you. <laughs> And, and I really like the concept and I think that it's going to be um, an amazing, an amazing tool moving forward for future use. But, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know I'm getting a little off topic here, but since we're on the topic of relationships, I want to ask you this. Yes. So 
as a female, I found myself really falling into that story for so many years that I couldn't approach guys that, you know, they had to be the ones to initiate mm -hmm. contact with me, that mm -hmm. whole kind of thing. And then I would always be like, no one ever talks to me. Like, what's the issue? Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've had multiple conversations with many different people. And I'm curious what your take is on um, initiating conversation. Is it, is it something that you encourage women to do or is it something that the man is supposed to do? Kind of talk to me a little bit about your thoughts around this. Yeah, sure. It sounds like we're talking about sexual polarity, which I think is really fascinating and really uh, can be helpful to think about in terms of especially long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. But something that seems really key for me is that if you are the one initiating as a female, that doesn't mean that that's going to be your sort of power position for the entire relationship, right? And I think maybe that's what people get worried about. Oh, am I always going to be the pursuer? Is this going to be some sort of push-pull dynamic? And that's not inherently true. I think what I've heard from a lot of men is that it's really sexy when they know that a woman is into them, especially in the beginning, because it can be really hard for them to, to know, right? And they're, especially on dating apps, they're sending out so many messages and not really many back. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, really taking initiation. I totally tell people to do that. And also if they're interested in that polarity of being pursued by the man or whatever it may be, recognizing that that can change. And you can also speak to your need of wanting to feel that way. Yeah. I think that's very challenging for individuals to verbally express. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why we should do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for, for the individual who maybe, um, let's say that they have a little crush on somebody and they want that person to know, but they're super frightened to put it out there. What yeah. advice do you have? How do you go about doing that and allowing yourself to have that vulnerable moment and not get so attached to the outcome and take it personally if it isn't in, you know, yeah. Well, I think that's really where the self-worth and self-love and self-fulfillment comes in, you know, feeling whole and alive on your own and then recognizing that that person is just going to help you on top of that. And you're going to help them on top of that, but they aren't feeding you so much love that you don't need your own. So I think that's what helps really going into it is making sure that you feel full and not sort of in that needy graspy place of, Oh, I need this. I need this relationship. Yeah. Um, Do you feel yeah. that most people um, give themselves the space and time they need after a relationship? I, I personally see a lot of individuals jumping from one relationship to the next. I know I had a history of, you know, doing the same thing and ending up in the same kind of circumstances. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then after, you know, 20 something years of this, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Well, if they're all, if they're all narcissists, <laughs> what is my role in this? Like, where yeah. is my responsibility? Where do yes, I take love responsibility that. for this? And so I had decided to um, date myself for an entire year. And yeah. this was really frightening initially because I had never been like, I always had my brothers and then I got married young, had children young. And in my forties, I realized, oh my God, I think I was 42 at the time. I was like, this is the first time in my entire life I've ever actually been alone, physically yeah. alone in my own presence. I didn't have anyone. I went up to Mount Shasta for 16 weeks wow. and intentionally did internal work mm -hmm. and discovered so much. I was able to, um, actually identify that all of my abandonment issues come from um, when they initiated when I was nine months old. Mm -hmm. I always thought it was from the divorce of my mother and father and my father mm -hmm. not really being present in my life, but it actually um, goes back as far as me being an infant and my brother, my mother, her brother was killed in a tragic drunk driving motorcycle accident mm -hmm. and she was pregnant and dealing with my father who was an alcoholic and drug addict. And she was under so much trauma that she didn't have the ability to give me the nurturing that I needed at that time. Yeah. And so I wasn't able to discover that until I got really, really quiet and went within and like literally a voice whispered in my ear, Hey, you know how you think all your issues are? I'm like, yes, I'm listening. And then it, you know, informed me of this situation. And then I actually, um, talked to my mom about it and, 
my mom historically has been a very defensive individual and she came right out and was like, yeah, wow. it was devastating. So it was really amazing to have that experience because I was able to, in that moment, take all of my resentment, all of my anger, all of the negative feelings I had harbored towards her and just completely dissolve them and look at her in such a different lens with so much respect, with so much admiration, like, wow, you know, this woman, she really was going through it at the time. And I know that she tried to do her best and that's all that matters. Yeah. It really strengthened our relationship. But what was so beautiful for me was in the moment when I, when I had this conversation with my mom and she had an opportunity to respond, the look of relief that came on her was like, it was like this weight she had been mm. carrying around for 40 something years of guilt and shame. And it just immediately dissolved. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. It was, it was yeah. actually a really magical moment. Mm. But I don't think many of us give ourselves the opportunity to do that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear you 100%. That sounds like a really potent healing experience and amazing. And I think sometimes when people have young kids and stuff and they're going through breakups, maybe they don't have the time or or whatever. So, I mean, there's some, there's some kind of, and I had an experience, a similar experience to you, but there is some kind of inherent privilege to be able to spend that much time on ourselves too, which feels important to at least acknowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and because this is my career, I do have a definite privilege in constantly being focusing on self-care and healing in between relationships. I think in general, people do not take the time they need to heal. I think what you're really mentioning about that abandonment at nine months although other things are involved too, is attachment, the way that you attach to your caregivers and how that later affects every single interpersonal relationship that you have. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's such potent healing in that and so important to recognize it because like you said, if we don't take the time to heal ourselves and really look mm -hmm. deep into ourselves, we'll just be finding the same fucking thing in a different person. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And that is what drove me after 20 something of years of finding myself in similar, well, similar relationships, just each one kept getting worse. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. something's What's happening. Okay. Yeah. Red flags have been waved. And um, I knew that it had to start here. I had to go yeah. in. I had to do the work. I think I had just gotten to a point where I was so sick and tired of feeling so sick and tired and victimizing myself all the time that I was mm. like, okay, I think I need to surrender and try and figure out how to take responsibility and accountability for how I have ended up here. And when yeah. I chose that, it, it was magical. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just absolutely magical. So it's do empowering. you- it is. Do you feel that to do this work, it's a conscious choice that needs to be made? I think some people are pushed into it with what happens too, right? Like if there's big trauma, if one of your parents dies or somebody close to you, sometimes that really makes us face the deepest parts of ourselves that we've been trying to hide mm -hmm. um, or not even trying to hide, but, you know, unconsciously repressing. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I was in a relationship from 16 to years old to almost 27 years old with the same person. And I really felt a call to do my healing at that time. And it felt like something that I had to do, even though you're asking if it's a conscious decision, it didn't even feel like it was something that I had a choice. It was like, I need to, there's something going on with me. I can't healthily attach. I need to figure this out. Okay. So it, it almost feels like both in some situations too. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating thing. And I feel that we're in a really awesome place collectively because so many people are recognizing the importance and the benefits of doing self-work yeah. and, and going in and truly healing. So let's talk about, I want to go back to self-love. I know I'm jumping all over the place. Sorry, you guys. Okay. But um, I want to go back to self-love and self-care. My definition of this was pedicures, massages, girls' night out, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so <laughs> when I got, when those things weren't fulfilling me, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> how am I supposed to love myself? Like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So, so how, what, 
how do we define true, authentic self-care and self-love? What does that actually look like? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that um, sometimes it really is massage and face masks. <laughs> but I think in general, how I think of self-love and, um, and self-care is moment-to-moment -moment presence with yourself in any way that you can get to that place, uh, which it sounds so easy, but it is so so daunting and hard yeah. to just be with, be with, choosing over and over. That's where the choice really does come in. I think the big push into this journey, that could be conscious or unconscious, but then the daily effort, yeah. whew, that's a choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. What, what can that look like? Yeah. So I think for me, how I like to define it is exactly everything that we've been talking about before this, the work that you put into understanding who you are underneath the conditioning and the way that you want to show up in the world. So that includes doing an evaluation of what your values are, mm -hmm. what purpose and meaning you want to bring into the world, how you want to connect, mm -hmm. how you want, what you want to offer to the world and what you want to receive. Okay. Some, oh, yeah. A lot of the time for me, self-love is about receiving because it can be so challenging for some of us. Um, and then, and then also giving, because that can also be really challenging for some of us. And one other thing that feels really, really important and pertinent when it comes to self-love is emotional recognition, like put a feelings wheel up somewhere in your house. If that's the first thing you're, you're going to do, um, on this journey, let it be that, that's let it, let it be that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's such a great, um, tip because I know for myself, I was a crier at an early age. I was super emotional and I got picked on and made fun of by my entire family. You know, oh, I was the crybaby, all kinds of names. And so I learned very early to start suppressing the emotion mm -hmm. and hiding the emotion, not addressing the emotion. And yeah. unfortunately that caught up with me in so many ways physically, mentally, and emotionally over my lifetime that, um, you know, it got to a point where I'm like, okay, I have to deal with these feelings because mm -hmm. this is not working out for me. Yeah. Um, but part of, so part of my struggle is that I was diagnosed with a learning disability at an early age. I technically started kindergarten the day after I turned four. So developmentally, I wasn't ready for school. But circumstantially, I needed to go to school. And so I got picked on a lot and I got called names and all of these things. So for me, I identified myself as not being an intelligent person. And when it came to writing and expressing myself, I was, I, and still to this day, have a lot of fear around putting actual words onto paper. Hmm. This has been a real challenge for me. And I recognized that part of the reason I resist journaling so much is because of self-judgment. Am I spelling this word right? Is my punctuation appropriate? Like all of those old stories from early adolescence still play, they still show up despite the fact, you know, I've proved to myself that I definitely, um, it was more environmental than yeah. really, um, diagnosis, you know, diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so I'm just curious for someone like myself who really still has that judgment and is trying mm -hmm. to break through that. And I know that I need to do spend more time journaling, but the, the resistance, the block is there. How yeah. do you break through that? Making friends with the resistance. This episode is brought to you by Organifi. And my friends over at Organifi are hooking you up with 15% off the entire store. Yep, the entire store. All you have to do is head over to Organifi.com and use the code Heather to save some moolah. You guys ask me all the time, Heather, how do you have so much energy? How are you basically reversing the aging process? And I just have to say that the green juice and the red juice from Organifi are two of my secrets. I don't go a single day without a scoop of my red or green juice and just a little PSA, right now, they even have a pumpkin spice flavor and um, it's outrageous. I don't take a lot of supplements, but I'll be honest, it's hard to get a lot of the vitamins and minerals we need from food alone these days. 
So that's why I use a high quality product like Organifi to ensure that I'm supporting my brain health, liver health, immune system, detoxification, and most importantly, my energy levels. The green juice is amazing first thing in the morning because it contains superfoods that help to lower cortisol levels. And uh, it's 2020, has it got you stressed? This is going to be a game changer for you to help reset your entire body for a focused and energized day. To have your red or green juice or any other amazing Organifi product delivered to your doorstep, head to Organifi.com and use the code Heather for 15% off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what shall I call her? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds funny. It probably sounds ridiculous, but really like um, there's this modality in therapy called parts work. And if you can imagine just literally what your resistance looks like mm-hmm. or the fear around journaling, what it looks like, if it, she, if it is a she, you said she, what she would look like, you know, what, what texture would she have? Would it be a human? Would it be somebody from your life? Mm-hmm. What does their voice sound like? How can you externalize it so you can understand it better? Okay. So is this a part of that inner child that has was so wounded over the ridicule that she still needs some attention? Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe maybe in attention it, it almost sounds like there's something like negatively attributed to that but maybe love, maybe care, maybe acknowledgement. Right. Yeah. I know after reflecting and having so many epiphany and and personal Mm -hmm. observations, I recognize why I was um, so easily attracted to narcissistic relationships because they came on so strong, so hard, so quick. And I was so desperate for just being seen, just getting attention, someone wanting me. It was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so it's funny because my youngest daughter recently started dating and she came home and was telling me stories. And in my head, I'm thinking, fucking red flags, fucking red flags, run, run. I was like, no, but so let me ask you this. This is where I get a little bit um, challenged personally with having daughters Mm -hmm. and not wanting to use my experiences and my own, you know, my personal life as a guide for them how do I encourage them without telling them what to do? So, so like, for instance, this specific incident where I recognize the red flags, but I don't want to break her heart. I don't want to diminish, you know, totally destroy all of the good feelings that she's feeling. What, how do you suggest someone go about that? I mean, I think what you were saying earlier in this conversation about really modeling for your children, mm-hmm. that really to mind I don't have the lived experience of having children yet but that that's what really speaks to me about that is showing them instead of telling them I know that for me my parents could tell me what I needed to hear a million times but I wouldn't hear it until I actually had the experience or if I saw them living it themselves yeah I love that I think that's such great advice and I think that there are so many listeners um, who can resonate with that I think often we try to focus on everyone else Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on ourselves. And if we just focus on ourselves, then not only do we heal ourselves, but we also help the others heal. Totally. So I love that. I think that's such great advice. So for anyone listening, who's feeling compelled to mingle into someone else's business, (laughs) (laughs) turn it in. What's going on there? Yeah. 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 I love that. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So what are your thoughts right now with where we are as a collective? And there's so much momentum around this healing and uh, self-work. So what are your thoughts as a professional in this field? You, uh, Yeah, is there anything specific or... No, I'm sure it's got to be somewhat exciting to see everyone. I know for myself, it's super exciting to see other people embracing and talking about it and getting excited about it. I feel like personally, we really are falling off of the third dimension and shifting into a five dimensional world. And part of that is the work that we're all doing right now to help raise the vibration and and get us to a higher um, vibing frequency. 
So for me, it's super exciting to see everyone, you know, throwing out the words conscious and conscious relationship and healing wounds. So, so as a professional, what's your take? I mean, growing up, one of my favorite quotes was the unexamined life is not worth living, which is pretty dramatic. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but I think that you know, the examination that's happening on an individual and systemic level is really inspiring. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways that, uh, like, in some ways, social media is this complex thing where it's giving so much psychoeducation and healing the opportunities. And at the same time, there's cancel culture and all these things where I understand they serve a purpose for certain people. But I really hope that as we move towards greater healing, we can begin to call each other in as opposed to out. That feels really important for healing uh, because I, as I think that you're saying too, it's not just individual healing or community healing. It has to be both. It has to be interpersonal. Right. So I want to ask you this question. What are your thoughts about unresolved emotional pains and their ability to reside in our physical body? Do you have any yeah. around that? I do have thoughts. I'm a little bit hesitant to share it just because I'm not a medical doctor. Um, But the things that you shared earlier about the somatic, the ways that your pain showed up somatically through stomach aches, I had that same experience. When my grandmother died and my parents were getting divorced, I started being sick all the time. And my parents at the time were really into Louise Hay. Uh She wrote, you can heal your life. And I always thought that was kind of ridiculous that it's sort of victim blaming. And so I came from this, this other sort of like my way of rebellion was to say that isn't true to my parents. But now with Dr. Gabor Mate's work, I'm kind of coming back to that in a way of not in like a woo way. And I hope that's not offensive, but I think it's really important to look at the science behind it. And that seems, there seems to be causation and correlation between Um, some of the emotional pain that we have and how it shows up in our body. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, therapists and people who use somatic experiencing and my own supervisor uses that. And it's, it it really is profound. It's profound to understand what's happening inside and to go from that place to heal first, especially trauma from the animal of your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as a registered dietitian, I, this yeah. is like my jam. I am absolutely obsessed with neuroscience and the physical implications that it has on our physiology and biology of our body. And I am just so passionate about helping others understand that our thoughts are truly where it all begins, that when we, you know, I went to a conference a couple years ago and this fact absolutely like just, I was, I was just absolutely amazed at this. So I was at an event, I was at a conference, a medical conference, and we were talking about gut health Mm -hmm. and the speaker had mentioned that the number one negative thought that elicited the stress response in the body was shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was like, whoa, that is absolutely amazing. And so for me, it's really fascinating to understand that when we have this negative thought, we have a 90 second loop to get out of it. We've got to get out of our head within that 90 seconds or this feedback loop continues to occur where Mm -hmm. we're releasing stress hormone into the body. And one of the primary jobs when the central nervous system is initiated and the parasympathetic nervous system is shut down, mm-hmm. we literally cut off our ability to rest yep. and digest. Mm-hmm. And so what I have found as a practitioner working with individuals, you know, I have a lot of people come to me and they think, oh God, I'm having all these tummy pains. I, I think I have food sensitivities. I can't eat anything anymore. Yeah. Ultimately, when we get down to it, it's usually environmental mediated. It's the environment that is creating the physical response in the body. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't feel that we talk enough. I don't think that there's just enough education out there explaining to people how powerful their actual thoughts are and the implications that it can have on our physical well-being. 
So for me, it's super exciting to see so many people want to do healing work because I know as a practitioner that until they do that healing work, we're just literally putting band-aids on all of the symptoms until mm-hmm. we can truly get to that root cause and yeah. heal it internally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You said that beautifully. Yeah. I see it as really two pronged too, because I see it as the thoughts, Mm -hmm. but also the body that that nervous system regulation can, can enable us to even have positive thoughts, right? If we're, if we're not in that window of tolerance, if we're not able to rest and digest, then we're just in danger mode. We're just looking out to see, you know, where we're safe and nowhere feels safe. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I just love the work that you're doing. I think that you're really making an impact out there. Um, I know that I, I have not told my oldest daughter about you, but she's going to absolutely adore you. So I need to remember <laughs> to send that to her. Oh, thank you, Heather. And I, I'm so excited to continue following your work too the body and food and nutrition, all these things, I mean, so incredibly important. So part of my practice, and I don't think I have shared this with you, um, part of my practice is specifically towards mental health and substance abuse populations. So I work, I work most of my week during the day, I devote a lot of my time doing education for individuals so that they can understand how to get out of the addiction mode and utilizing nutrition as one of the Mm. means to help. Because ultimately we have two brains. We have the brain in our head and we have the brain in our gut and they Mm -hmm. are constantly communicating and they're giving each other information, whether it's a positive feedback or a negative feedback loop, they're always engaging. And I just don't think that in the mental health world, we do enough to really emphasize the importance of nutrition on Mm. our digestive health and how our digestive health is going to impact our mental health. Totally. And we need you, Heather, because we're actually not allowed to talk about it in the therapy room. Yeah. Oh, I know. And so it is very exciting to be able to take two things that I'm super passionate about and be able to, um, you know, integrate them in a totally. way. I buried my father on what would have been his 54th birthday from complications of long-term drug and alcohol abuse. Wow. And watching individuals suffer from addiction is just one of the more, you know, I think hard, harder things to have to witness. It's, mm-hmm. as an observer, it's very difficult to see a person going through a lot of that pain. But ultimately, I find that we utilize substances because we're trying to numb out from discomfort. And if we would just address the discomfort and really go there, mm-hmm. a lot of the you know suffering that we do could be less, less yeah. suffering, or maybe less suffering time. Um, but yeah, anyway. No, that's so important. It's so important. I mean, it ties into what we were just talking about, that addiction and addictive behaviors really are a way that we're trying to regulate our own nervous system. Exactly. Yeah. Just trying to find ways to cope. So it's such a beautiful thing. I I can't express enough the work you're doing, how important it is. It's very exciting for me to see the stigmas going away, you know, kind of dissolving around Mm. therapy and to me, that's exciting. I am like, everyone should have a therapist. Everyone needs a therapist. Everyone, you know, we all need help. And I have a team. I have a team of help that I have, you know, utilized over the last decade. And I'm so grateful for all of them. And, and I continue to keep looking for, you know, more mentors and, and things to keep evolving my own journey. Yeah. So what's next for you? What, what's going on in your world? Yeah, well, I'm teaching classes with the TAT Lab, and I'm in private practice. Uh, Eventually, I'd love to write a book, (laughs) but we'll see about that. Um, And yeah, just really focusing, actually, I'm glad that we talked about it today on nervous system regulation in our relationships, Um, just diving really deep into conscious sexuality and relationships and how to have safe, healthy relationships. I think it's so hard to find models of that in current society, at least media representation. So that's something that's just so, so, so important to me that we, in a way to heal is to love one another. 
Can you talk to me a little bit about the conscious sexuality and what that actually means for you? Sure. Yeah. So I guess for me, I'll give you a little bit of context that I, I felt like I had two parts within me, one that really desired freedom and romance and just, you know, I guess more of like a single life or just kind of being like a wild beast or something. (laughs) I think there's a lot of women who can relate to this. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think we probably all can relate. And then on the other side was this real yearning for safety and security and love and family and and stability and consistency and commitment. So I'm like, whoa, how can I have both of these things? Yes. And after I left <laughs> the uh, very, very long relationship where we wanted different things and I wasn't ready for what he wanted, I tried to understand how I could integrate the two, mm-hmm. how I could turn this stable, loving, committed relationship with re- with emotional availability and emotional communication. How could I have that? Something that's rarely seen and sort of infuse it with adventure and play and delight. Tell me more. Yeah. So to me, that's what, yeah. <laughs> I'm listening. Well, yeah, that's, I'm, yeah, yeah. See, we want it. Yeah. I, so I see, I see how like it is, it's, it's first recognizing that we, we all have that, right. That, um, or to, a lot of us have that. And then figuring out how to have that with another person, or if you're poly with multiple people. And I think it really comes down to conscious communication, just like we were saying earlier, really knowing what you want and who you are, Mm -hmm. and then a willingness to both co-create together. That is so, so, so key. So having the same vision and being real, real vulnerable. I love that. That's Mm -hmm. so beautiful. I think this definitely needs to be a topic of the book. I think this, (laughs) you know, when you're talking about this, it kind of, I had a memory pop in my brain and with the last long distance relationship I was in, we were really striving to have a conscious relationship, one where I was doing my work, he's doing his own work, and then together we continue to grow and support each other, but ultimately the goal was not to heal one another, to take that responsibility off the table. And so I was really struggling with um, understanding how to show up the way that he needed me to show up and vice versa. So I decided to basically write myself an owner's manual. So I reflected on my last, you know, gosh, 20, let's call it 30 years worth of relationships. And I went through and really was able to identify my triggers, my Mm. attachment style, you know, all of the things that really caused me to like freak out in the moment, right? So I was able to go through, identify what all of these triggers were. And then come up with solutions of what I would need from a partner in order to continue my healing journey, have a vulnerable open line of communication so that we would be on the same page, but know exactly what the individual needs. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. So for instance, I really struggle with conflict. I have always avoided conflict my entire life. And as a part of that, a lot of self-betrayal came about that ultimately Mm. ended with resentment and self-sabotage and all of the things. And so I recognize that in a relationship, if there is conflict, if my partner, because I tend to be like, let's work this out now. We got to figure this out. Mm. I have this whole note, you know, Mm -hmm. hanging over my head. And so one of my solutions was that in the event that conflict arises and nothing healthy can come from it in that moment, I need reassurance from my partner that we need to take some time apart to process. This doesn't mean that the relationship is at threat or that it's over, that we just need safe space to figure out what it all means and then be able to come back together in a way where we both feel safe and secure with communicating what we have discovered. Mm -hmm. So I went through and I came up with like literally just everything I need moving forward. And that was a lot, that was so hard, not gonna lie. It was so hard, but in the end, when I was done, I was like, oh my God, this is so fucking empowering. I was like, who wants to read my owner's manual? Super vulnerable stuff, right? Like really, 
not so pretty things. And I'm like, yes. where's my next relationship? I can't wait to present it. This is going to be great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's going to be, or that already is, or it's going to be incredible that you know yourself so deeply. Yeah, it really was a beautiful, um, a beautiful moment to, to get to explore. And because I do have such resistance around writing, this was huge for me because I sat down and I wrote it all out. And then I even took it as far as to send it to my partner. And at that mm. time, he was like, whoa, this is amazing. And I said, well, I would like you to do something similar in return. So I have clear understanding of what your needs are. And then that ultimately did not happen. So, you know, it is, mm. it is. but um, yeah. But so, you know that you want that now. I so do. That's, yeah. 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 No, yeah. I know that this last relationship was definitely um, a relationship that came to me to teach me and to also help validate myself with the um, lessons that I have identified and have now learned and have been able to put application to those lessons in a way that has served me. So, so for me, you know, it's, it's very exciting. I'm like, I keep getting better. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it's not exactly what I want yet, but it's getting closer. And mm -hmm. for me, that's very exciting. And to be able to honor myself when my gut says, Hey, it's time to let go, you know, yeah, yeah. I have so much self-doubt and mm -hmm. so it's been really great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. I love that. The owner's man. Listening. <laughs> <laughs> there's like, there's like something super sexy in there too. <laughs> Just the name of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you are such a sweetheart. Well, Tani, I am so thankful for you coming on today and sharing some of your knowledge and insight and personal experiences with the listeners. Listeners, if you are not following her yet, I encourage you to definitely head over to her website at tawnylyons.com. I'll make sure to put all of the um, attachments in the show notes so it makes it really super easy. And where can they find you on social media? Um, it's at T-A-U-N-E-L-Y-O-N-S. <laughs> all right, guys. I will make sure to have all of that tagged. And um, if you're interested in working with Tawny, I encourage you to check out her website or check out what she has got going on with the Tat Lab on Attachment Styles. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.